Well, today's going to be a little bit of a different kind of Noah's window uh, because I want to kind of give you an overview for a book of the Bible, a fairly large book, and it's the book of Job. Yesterday, Marielle spoke to us about Job and uh, she and I have had quite a few conversations about it in the last few days and, and just how interesting this book is. For many people, uh, they stay away from the book of Job because they know it's a book of extreme suffering. On the other hand, there are many people that depend on this book in a very special way because they've gone through hard times and they're looking for meaning. But I think most of us at least know that the story of Job is about a man who went through an extraordinarily difficult time. He lost everything. Um, and there are 42 chapters. So what I want to do is I want to I want to just sort of take the book of Job apart real quickly to kind of help us have an overview. And then I want to get to a point that, as I said, may be a little unusual for Noah's window, but it's still a great point nonetheless that I guess we need to just think about as we contemplate the meaning of our own lives. So let's go into the book of Job. It has 42 chapters. Uh, a lot of the chapters are not real long, so you can read this book fairly quickly. I remember I did a series called Silence back in 2008, and I sat uh, in my uh, recliner, uh, rocker recliner in the living room and read the entire book and made notes uh, in one evening. But let's, let's go through the book. Uh, chapters 1 and chapter 2 comprise a very important section of Job, and it's really where we're going to land after we go through the rest of the book. In chapters 1 and 2, uh, the scene opens with God and the angels presenting themselves in heaven. And the Bible says that Satan came among them. So he's already been cast out of heaven uh, because of the rebellion that he um, uh, fomented before the creation of, the, of mankind. But he still evidently has access to appear before God. And the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. So we understand he is there for one purpose. He's there to accuse God's people. So he, uh, as he gets close to, to God, and before he can talk, God preempts him. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And God said, he, he's faithful, he serves me, he's a godly person. And, and so if you're looking for an example of someone who loves me from the heart, look at Job. And then Satan, of course, of course is full of bitterness and sneering. And he says to God, the only reason why Job serves you is because you give him so much and you put a hedge of protection around him. That's an interesting thought. I think for all of us uh, who have people we love, we ought to pray for that hedge of protection. And Satan said, you won't let me get to him. And he said, if you let me get to him and take everything he's got, then he will curse you. Well, God allows Satan to do that. God said, okay, you, you can take his stuff, but you can't touch his body. And so Job has the most horrible day, I guess, any human being has ever had, except for the day that Jesus was crucified. Um, he loses all 10 of his children in a tornado. And then all of his cattle, and he's, cattle is how you measure wealth back in those days, all of his cattle, and he's the richest man in the world, uh, are, are, are either killed or taken away. He loses everything that he has in one day. And he, messenger after messenger comes to tell him the bad news. And of course, the worst news of all is that he's lost all 10 of his kids. And yet Job does not curse God. And he said, you know, I didn't come into the world with anything and I'm not going to leave with anything. Bless me the name of God. And that's how chapter one ends. And then you go into the second part of that little section. And later on, the angels come back to appear before God. Here comes Satan. And God said, hey, did you see what happened with my servant Job? Well, of course, Satan now moves the goalposts. And he says, well, 
you know, a person would do anything to, uh, to keep their health and to keep their life. And he said, sure, he, I took his stuff and he still blesses you, but you let me touch his body and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, well, all right, then I'll let you touch his body with all kinds of problems, but you can't kill him. And from that moment on, Job has this horrible physical disease that just ravages his body. It's so awful and so grotesque that it's really hard for me to even talk about it today. If you really want to, you can read the book of Job and I encourage you to do that. You'll just sort of see throughout the book of Job the intense suffering that he was in. He had pain 24 hours a day. Nobody wanted to be close to him. His, it, it, it was so bad that his wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die and get it over with? So that's what happens in chapters one and two. So that's the backstory for the book of Job. Now, for the next 35 chapters, <laughs> for, the, for the lion's share of the book of Job, it's about three of his friends who come to comfort him. But they look at what happened to him. They're, they just sort of like size him up and think, wow, Job must have done something very bad because he has all this going for him and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden it's just like catastrophe after catastrophe. And they think, okay, surely he had to do something wrong to deserve this. And so for 35 chapters, Job was pleading with him to understand that he's innocent. Job doesn't know why God has done this to him, which of course you and I know wasn't God who did it to him. Satan did it to him. But Job is like, I don't know why God is doing this to me. And his three friends are going to take turns just pummeling him like Mary Alice talked about yesterday. If you didn't get to see her, 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 uh, notice when they post, I would encourage you to go back and look at this because the awful things they said to him were just horrific. And these are his friends. So for 35 chapters in this long tunnel of fog and darkness, all Job can hear is that you did something wrong and Job trying to figure out what he did and why things are going wrong. The next section of the book is four chapters in which God talks to Job. And that's really important because God basically comes along to Job and says to him that he's in charge of the universe and that Although he loves Job very much, Job needs to trust the way that he runs the universe. And then chapter 42, the final chapter, is the last section, just one chapter, one section of the book of Job. And in that chapter, God restores everything back to Job and doubles it, you know, doubles all of his cattle, doubles all of his wealth. And he, he and his wife have 10 more children. And, you know, someone might ask, well, why didn't God, you know, double the number of children? Well, the 10 children that, you know, he lost in the tornado, they were in heaven. So consequently, in effect, his, uh, you know, he did not lose them. Now, what I want to get to is simply this. For those 35 chapters where you listen to Job and his friends go back and forth talking to each other. You know, I, I've said this to Mary Alice so many times when we read through that section, they don't have chapters one and two. They don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Job, he's trying to figure out, and all he can figure out is for some reason God has done these things to him, and yet Job can't figure out why. And his friends are just sure that he's done something awfully wrong that he's hiding because certainly he wouldn't be suffering like this. And I just keep saying to Mary Alice, they don't have chapters one and two. They don't have chapters one and two. They don't know all about that conversation between God and Satan. And you know, when we read through the book of Job, of course, we know that. What's the point? And as I said, this is a little bit of an unusual point for Noah's window. Well, we don't have chapters one and two either. I, I don't mean, of course, the book of Job. I mean, when we try to figure out what's going on in our lives, we don't know what's going on in the heavenlies. 
We know there's warfare. We know there are battles going on in the heavenlies. That's why every time we do a series on spiritual warfare, I read to you that that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against forces of darkness in the in the heavenly realms. So consequently, you know, there's a lot going on in the heavenlies. I mean, I, I find myself today looking at a lot of Christians who look at the political scenario and they're trying to make sense of it all. We need to understand that what's going on politically in America is in response to a battle going on in the spirit world. You know, one of the things that we read, and I don't want to freak you out, but this is in the book of Daniel. The Bible indicates that there are demons assigned to particular countries and particular areas. So consequently, there's a lot going on in the universe that's way beyond what we can know. It's our chapters one and two that we don't know about. So what do we draw from that? Well, I think there, there are two major lessons, if nothing else, is that we need to see. First of all, since we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, we need to draw very close to God. That's why prayer and focusing God on God every day, staying very close to God. And when Satan comes along with his temptations, pushing them away because it's way more important that we stay close to God than experience whatever trinket Satan is putting out there for us. So we want to stay very close to God. Prayer is so very important. And then this book is so very important because, you know, it's when you when you don't know what you don't know, it's critical that you that you hold on to what you know for sure, that you hold on to this book. This and I'm finished with today, and I, I know I've talked for a good while, but uh, Peter is writing about the last days. And he starts talking, and this is this is not in the gospels, this is long after in, in you know that little section of first and second Peter where he, he's an aging preacher and he's writing to believers. Uh, Peter starts talking about the day when Jesus called you know, him and James and John up on the mountain of transfiguration, and they actually were able to see Jesus with his glory uh, pull back a little bit, or his glory re revealing him a little bit. And so Peter said, yeah, we were there and we saw it. But then he says something really interesting. He said, we were eyewitnesses, but he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he's talking about the Bible. And then he says something that I think about almost every day. He said, you know, in the last days, the darker it gets, we need to move toward this bright light of God's word, like a light shining in the distance, Peter said, until the sun comes up. Well, when he talked about the sun coming up, he was talking about Jesus coming back. He's saying in the darkness of our times, we need to move toward the light of God's word until Jesus comes. So since you and I in our lives don't have chapters one and two, it's all the more important that we stay very close to God and we stay in this book every day. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'll help us when we don't know what we don't know to not guess and try to figure out these things. We need to just depend on you and fall back on what and who we know for sure. And that's your word and that's you. Help us, I pray, oh God, in these difficult days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us on Noah's Window today. Mary Alice and I will be back tomorrow. Hope you're having a wonderful day.